Kia ora, I'm Madison Reedy. Welcome to Life in the Fast Lane. New Zealand businesses are a resilient bunch. They've weathered numerous crises, the GFC, earthquakes and now COVID-19. For the past 20 years, the Deloitte Fast 50 has championed those business owners who've not only survived, but thrived. Honouring businesses that have achieved often unbelievable annual revenue growth. So what's their secret to success? In this podcast, I'll be asking some of the country's most notable entrepreneurs how they did it and what to do when the going gets tough. This is Life in the Fast Lane. When you think of farming, you're probably picturing a traditional industry that's adverse to risk or change. But for Juliet McLean, who's spent her career establishing a range of forward-thinking agribusinesses, innovation has always been front and centre. Twenty years ago, Juliet put her years of experience in farming to the test when she and two business partners bought a large sheep and beef farm in Canterbury and set their sights on disrupting the dairy industry. Today, Sinlay is one of New Zealand's largest dairy operations with 700 staff and 200 suppliers. Juliet since moved on to a new challenge where she continues to put her Nuffield Farming Scholarship to good use. Her latest project, called Onside, is a solution that provides digital check-in software to protect rural businesses. Well, Juliet's on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. So 20 years ago, when you bought the Robindale Dairy Farm in Canterbury, what did you think that that was the start of? It's a really interesting question, and it made me reflect as I was contemplating that. When we very, very first started out, we were just looking for an opportunity outside of the Waikato to build a larger farming business that we could improve and most likely sell. Um, It was in the era when the Waikato was largely bereft of new opportunities and we were looking for an exciting challenge. However, then I do reflect on quite quickly in those days we started, you know, we had a process for thinking about the future and part of that was drawing pictures. And I can remember a lot of years later us pulling out these pictures and they had lots and lots of happy smiling cows, large teams of people and these aeroplanes that were flying to other parts of the world. So quite early on, we did start to set our sights on a business that was integrating farming through to the end customer, and we decided that was an overseas customer. Did you all intend to grow Sinlay into what it was, or did the scale of what it actually became surprise you all? I think the scale of what it actually became did surprise us. What did you believe that you could do differently in dairy when you were starting out and drawing those pictures together? I think what we were really thinking about was the ability to innovate and not to be constrained when it came to scale. You know, we didn't want to be constrained because New Zealand is a little country with a relatively small team of people at the bottom of the world. We were setting our sights on using innovation to scale. We were also thinking about innovative models that would allow farmers access to manufacturing and customers without having to own a share in the business that was doing that. And that was something a little bit different at that time. What motivated you to do things differently? You mentioned earlier that the Waikato was bereft of opportunities, but was there anything more to it than that? We all love challenge and 
in our careers, we were looking for the next opportunity. And we knew dairy and farming really well. So I think we were starting out with what we felt like we knew well, but we were very open to what that might become. What was the sort of process that came from that idea and the desire to do things differently to actually making that leap of faith and jumping to do it? I think one of the things that I reflect on that we did in quite a considered manner in contrast to maybe what people looked in and saw, they probably sometimes reflected that there wasn't a lot of consideration went on. We just went hell for leather. Uh, but what we did in a considered matter was because there was a team of us and there was three of us, we actually staged our change in our career as we became more confident that we really did have a thing that we could build. And so Ben became the first permanent employee of the business. And then when we realised that, hey, this converting farms and building a business can work for us, John left his permanent role and joined Ben. And then when we were really sure we had something going on, I left the farming business that we were running in the Waikato and joined both of them. So there was a method in our madness as we went along. Taking on global dairy giants like Fonterra is a pretty bold move. Did you face any doubters? Oh, look, we faced lots of doubters. And when I think about resilience, that would be one of the areas where it started and it was put to good use. I think naivety is a wonderful thing. And when we started out, we really didn't contemplate and certainly weren't put off by the fact that the biggest business in New Zealand could see any any threat or anything negative out of what we were doing. And so naively, we just carried on. And there's no doubt that there were a lot of people that didn't warm to our way in, in the way that we thought they might have, for sure. So how did you not let those people get in your way? We were just very focused on what we were trying to achieve and at a higher level, why we were trying to achieve it. And so we were trying to offer dairy farmers choice, and we were trying to offer people who wanted to invest in dairy business opportunities and choice as well. And so that was purpose was important to us. That was more important than getting distracted by the people who had their foot out to trip us up if they could. A bit of underdog mentality, A bit of underdog mentality. Let's talk about growth, because Sinlay had triple-digit growth for four consecutive years. How did you not only achieve that level of growth, but sustain it? Growth's an interesting thing, because when it all boils down to it, you have to have a product or an idea that has a customer, don't you? And so in the part of the business that was about building and developing farms, we had people that wanted to be a part of that. And so that allowed us to keep on investing in farms and growing the farming business at pace. And at the other end, the manufacturing plant was making product that was strongly demanded around the world. And so I think for growth, you have to have consumer demand and you have to have a plan. I think, you know, a lot of people go in 
to growth and they think this will just happen. But understanding your customer and understanding how you're going to resource your organisation to bring that to bear, just what you've got to do. What should that ratio be between your product and the strategy to sell it effectively? If you're not supremely confident that you can fulfil the need of your customer and you're going to push product into the market, that's unlikely to sustain growth over time. And I think the underpinning of all that is if we go back to the people side of growth, is everything to do with achieving growth takes an enormous amount of energy. And when you say, how do you sustain growth? And by default, how come some companies don't? Um, As well as running out of resource, and sometimes that might be capital, quite frankly, I just think leaders run out of energy. What are the pitfalls of growing so rapidly, if there are any? I think the pitfalls are, you know, nothing ever goes perfectly to plan. And if you're growing really fast, the things that might not go perfectly to plan come at you really quickly. And so having a team that is agile and resilient and thoughtful enough to cope with that change is deeply important. Where do you think that some entrepreneurs go wrong to grow so fast to then only fall flat again? Either they don't really have their plan as well established as they thought they did, or it isn't as exciting as they expected it was going to be, and the hard work just becomes overwhelming. And then I go to whatever sort of growth or business development that you see, it's seldom about one person. It's about a team. And so I think if I look and reflect on some of the entrepreneurs that have run out of path, I wonder that they haven't just tried to do too much by themselves. And that's really tough. For us, growing Sinlay was always about the team. And that was, you know, a wonderful thing to be a part of. But it was also an absolute key to what we were able to achieve. Yeah, you mentioned earlier running out of energy as a leader and an entrepreneur, which is really so rife and so few people acknowledge it. How did you not run out of energy and keep Sinlay going to become what it is? Mm. It sounds a little bit out of the textbook, but I genuinely believe two things, that you just have to have a vision that you are so bought into and so committed to that that drives you through the tough times and gives you energy. And I think for me personally, I just love seeing people achieve more than they thought they could achieve, be it in the work context or in the investment context or in their own lives. And being able to help people do that just kept on giving me energy for us to keep going. And then as a team, you know, we kept each other going as well because teams that take on big challenges develop this really deep level of loyalty, not only to keep themselves going, but to make sure we have a value um, which is backing each other all the way. And we lived that all the time. And it was about backing each other all the way through the good times and about backing each other all the way when the going got tough. And so, you know, I think if you had Ben and John and I here together, we'd all say, 
we wouldn't have achieved what we did in those years if there hadn't been the team of us. I have no doubt we would have achieved something, <laughs> but it would have been different if it hadn't been the three of us. Maybe not an enormous yeah, dairy maybe giant not. listed on two stock exchanges possibly. When you talk about the importance of team, how do you get the people that you're hiring as you grow so rapidly mm. to buy into the same vision that the entrepreneurs who hold equity believe in so strongly? You talk about it a lot and you behave it and you make it deeply purposeful. And that whole idea of telling your story really is important. And, you know, we lived what we were hoping to achieve and we talked about it all the time. And so if you were around us, I think you quite quickly became quite clear on what those pictures that we drew at the start meant, how we were going to get there, and the type of cultural team feel that we were trying to build to achieve those goals. Sinlay Farms was eventually bought by the overseas investment firm Shanghai Punction. How did that come to pass? Yeah, that was part of a process. And so we had a couple of iterations of structure over the first 10 years of Simlay. And one of those was coming out of the GFC, I needed some fresh capital for Simlay Farms. And so we ran a global process to find an investor. And at that stage, the most attractive opportunity was from Shanghai Pingxing. And so, yeah, that was part of a process that we set out um, to, to bring together. It's a pretty complex and public process. Yeah. Was it one that you were fully prepared for? Again, I think, although I'd like to think I wasn't as naive then as I was in 2001, there is an element of naivety and an element of just being focused on the future that gets you through those times. And I do remember being at a farming meeting not long after we had publicly closed that deal and a farmer locally who I knew really well, and I was completely sideswiped by this, just made a really, really cutting comment to me about selling out to an overseas entity. And um, I'd have to say it cut quite deep uh, because I thought about the wonderful impact that we had been able to have on so many people in the community. And I thought, ah, oh, yep, I was still a little bit naive about how people think about change. Really, I think that is what it is. It was change and some very tightly held perceptions around the ownership of New Zealand assets. And I get that. It's important that people can choose if they want to. Do you think that those perceptions are inherently right? Do you think New Zealanders have this wrongful perception of overseas investment, especially when it comes to land like farms? Personally, I believe that the opportunity to have overseas investment has brought a wealth of diversity, a wealth of really stunning and positive environmental development and a huge opportunity for New Zealand. And so I don't see it that way. I see development that has happened in a way that a lot of Kiwis wouldn't have chosen or wouldn't have had the ability to use their financial resources to do. And I see communities have benefited greatly from that. So I respect the overseas investment equally. I just respect that people can make their choice. 
you eventually sold out of Sinlay Farms too. Why did you make that decision? Yeah, that was a hard decision. That was a really, really tough call. I had spent by then 15 years singularly focused, I'd have to say, on building our business. And, you know, change is ongoing all the time. And when we made the decision to change our shareholder register, that came with a different vision for the business and it came with some different expectations. And they turned out not to be exactly aligned with my own. And so although I thought about it long and hard, I just decided that I wasn't prepared or able to change the way I felt about my vision for the business. And therefore, it was just um, yeah better to move on and do something different. When you did leave, as you said, you were growing Sinlay for 15 years. It was so ingrained in you, that enormous vision that you all bought into. What did it feel like when you left and you didn't have that anymore? Did you have a bit of a identity crisis, I guess? Oh, uh, absolutely. For more reasons than just Sinlay, because I had been farming for 25 years to that point. And so it was the first time that I hadn't been leading a farming team. It was the first time that I hadn't been getting my gumboots on every morning. It was a huge change. And so, yeah, I just woke up and thought, wow, what can I bring to any other businesses? Because I felt like all I knew about was farming. And I'd become really deeply connected to the team. Sounds a little trite to say it Sinlay Farms was a family, but it was, and it was just a big family. And so, yeah, that was a big change, and I missed the team a lot. If any industry has been resilient over the years, it's farming. What's the biggest challenge that you think you faced over the years that you were so deeply in that industry? Probably there's a couple. I think one of the big challenges is mindset. So, Historically, agriculture has been quite traditional in its mindset. And what we were trying to do required a broad mindset that was focused on scale, focused on excellence, and inherently focused on innovation. And so you have to take people on that journey with you. So changing people's mindset was a challenge. And then from a leadership point of view, you know, we had some interesting times as well. We had two rounds of Canterbury earthquakes. In the height of our business growth, we had the GFC. And then, you know, there was little bumpy bits along the way. So I now file all of those as really valuable learnings to take forward with me. And people go, oh my golly, you know, did you get challenge fatigue? And I'd have to say sometimes you did wake up and go, whoa, you know, people say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, Feel like I've had enough of that for now. (laughs) But actually, I wouldn't have missed any of those moments. You know, those are just really great opportunities. If you haven't skinned your knees, you haven't lived, I think. If you don't mind going back that far in the history books, Mm. how did the GFC affect Sinlay and compare that with how an earthquake, a more physical disruption, Mm. affected the business? Mm. Exactly what you said. The earthquakes were so much more physical. The GFC, really, the way I saw that was, you know, we had been growing very quickly. We'd put ourselves in a position where 
we really needed to take a deep breath and think about how we ensured that we had adequate financial resources and a sustainable structure going forward. And that was kind of academic and we just had to sort that out. The earthquakes broke stuff, broke people's homes, they broke people's hearts, they broke our dairy sheds. And I can remember waking up at 4.30 in the morning with my phone going crazy and, you know, we had thousands and thousands of cows to care for and to milk that day and we couldn't. And, you know, one response would have been, can I just put my head under this pillow and wake back up when this is solved? And of course you just can't because I had 100 people and 13,000 cows and a business that was looking to me for some answers. From a leadership perspective, are the way that you tackle each of those different crises quite different too? And how did you do each of those? I think the problem you're trying to solve is different in each circumstance. However, I think over time, I got a framework and a process to work that through. And, you know, I go, I got a framework. Sure, I did. However, I never would have got through those challenges again without the team. And so I think that solving crises on your own is really tough and you can get through if you've got the right people around you. What lessons did you learn from facing those enormous challenges that possibly still serve you in business today? It's a really good question. I think that the lessons that I learned are that people are much more resilient than you initially think they are. And when faced with the need to change, and we've seen that recently with COVID, people get up and they get going and they change. And so all you really need to do is just lead that and steer it and remind people of where you're trying to head. And it's amazing. It always amazes me what mountains you can climb. As a leader, is there a way to foster that incredible resilience in people that they don't know that they might have without a crisis? Literally, you can practice for crises. Mm -hmm. And we'd done that, actually. We had practiced for crises. Look, I think that really helps. I really do. Because you know where to start. And then once you take the first step, you get going. I think people inherently are resilient. I just think that often it's not tested. What you're doing now with your current venture, OnSide, which harnesses technology to streamline the way people check in and out of rural properties, health and safety, where did the idea for that come from? Around the time that we bought our new investor into Sinlay Farms, we were thinking about how to manage health and safety. And I suppose what I was trying to do and what I always tried to do was take the very best of corporate business, which wasn't agri-focused, and think through how we embedded that into our large-scale agribusiness. And I had the opportunity to work with a gentleman who wasn't from agri. And he one day said to me, I asked for some feedback, actually. I said, hey, how do you think we're going? And he said, look, I think you're going great, except you've got some work to do on your health and safety. And I said, whoa, what do you mean by that? You know, I'm fine. I've been a farmer all my life. I know what I'm doing. We're safe. And he rattled off a whole lot of examples of things he'd seen. And I thought, hmm, okay, 
you've got a point there. And so we set about um, making our workplace and our team a whole lot safer. And what we realised was there was no great tools to help us with that. And there were certainly no great digital tools. And most of the paper tools that were there were cut and pastes from other sectors. And so there was three of us, Michael and Ryan and I decided, hey, there is a job to be done here and because there's a big void in the market. And so that was one of the opportunities that came about when, um, when we stopped working in the Sinlay Farms team as we said, hey, let's give this a go. How is it trying to introduce new ideas, new tools, new ways of working into such a traditional industry like farming? Look, I think that actually farming is great at looking and thinking about new things and then giving them a crack, provided they make sense. So, you know, are they going to help save time? Are they going to make our livestock healthier? Are they going to make our people safer? And so, Although we sometimes quip about the number eight wire approach from farming, I actually believe that give it a go attitude actually is the start of change. And if you can help people understand why they should do it, then I think farmers are great at innovating. And so, yeah, look, getting people using a digital technology, I think that has gone well. Getting farmers thinking about how they work differently that takes time. Thank you so much, Juliet, for joining us on Life in the Fast Lane. I think you are just a legend of resilience. You know that topic better than better than most. I also really enjoyed your advice there where you said, you know, you need to have a plan and a vision that you need to buy into to actually get you out of bed every morning because some days, gosh, it can be tough. I just have one last question for you. Could you please finish this sentence for me? For your business to survive and thrive, you need? A great team. Juliet McLean, co-founder of Sinlay and also the co-founder of On the Side. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Life in the Fast Lane, brought to you by the Deloitte Fast 50, championing New Zealand businesses for the past 20 years.